Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But there's just something really, uh, I want to say almost spiritual um, about snowboarding. And you, like I said, you don't have poles, you don't have hard boots, and you have two edges um, and you are just one with the mountain. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 95 with Donna Carpenter. Donna was one of the founders of Burton Snowboards alongside her husband, Jake Burton. It's not overstating things to say that as a pair, Donna and Jake are responsible for launching the modern snowboard and turning a largely unknown hobby into a mainstream sport. Donna has spent her entire career building, shaping and growing the business they founded in 1977, and she eventually took on the role of CEO, leading the company to become the icon that it is today. In this episode, we talk about Donna's origins and how it was that she turned from a young rebel into a Forbes-listed power woman. We discuss what she's learned along the way and what makes the business special, as well as the tragic story of Jake passing away from cancer in 2019. It's a powerful conversation with a very impressive woman, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we begin, I'd just like to mention our sister publication, Sidetrack Magazine. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetrack.com. I'd also like to take a moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They really do help us bring the podcast to a much wider audience. Okay, over to Donna Carpenter. I just think it's a natural, logical place to start for you to introduce yourself, tell me who you are, um, what you do, whatever that means to you. Yeah, so I'm Donna Carpenter, and I guess my uh, role now is fairly new to me as uh, chairman of the board of um, Burton Snowboards. I was always very involved in kind of the day-to-day, and for many years, Jake was chair, and So I've now stepped into that role and, you know, I've stepped into the role of sole owner of Burton Snowboards and um, it's a privately held family company. So my big mission now really is to get it to that second generation. That's a pretty good mission. So I obviously would like to talk about that journey in detail and it would be great to start actually kind of, you know, pre-Burton and, and pre those years and who were you as a youngster and where did you grow up? And 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I uh, was born in East Texas, uh, and that's where my family is from. And when I was four years old, my father got a job, a big job in New York City, and my mother refused to move to New York because, as my grandmother said, that's where Satan lives. And uh, <laughs> we were sort of pariahs in our family for moving to that big, bad New York City. And so I never really felt at home in Texas, and I never really felt at home. And, and we actually moved to Greenwich, Connecticut, which is outside New York City, and it's kind of this very wealthy suburb. And I never, I, I felt tribeless, you know. Um, I uh, I was a good student and I liked school and uh, on a vacation from college, you know, I met Jake Burton in a bar and it was kind of like, I was always a rebel because I didn't feel part of, but I was also a rebel who had plans, <laughs> like, you know, so um you know, meeting Jake and being able to create this community of our own from scratch. When I look back, I realize part of it was because I didn't feel at home in Texas and I didn't feel at home in New York City. Um, and here was this decent, hardworking guy who had a dream. I never <clears throat> planned on getting involved in the business, um, but I was very much drawn to that sense of a an emerging community and i mean snowboarding obviously you know what was is part of the kind of the counterculture it was sort of like punk i mean you say you were a rebel was jake a rebel as well Oh, totally. We had that totally in common, sort of rebels with ambition. <laughs> yes, you know. um, yeah, he totally, I mean, if he had followed the path in his family, he would have gone to Yale and become an investment banker. So what did you, I mean, you could never have known the way it was going to play out. None of us do. So never. what were you seeking? Community, a sense of belonging, a sense of place, a sense of something bigger than ourselves, right? Like when uh, I think there's a point in the Dear Rider movie where Jake talks about once he stopped thinking about himself in terms of I've got to make these many boards to make this much money. And he just started focusing on the sport and what was right for the sport and knowing there was a sport there, then everything else followed. And that's really how it felt. Like it always felt like it was bigger than us and the demand was there and we were just trying to keep up with it. And I mean, it's a stupid question for those who know, but to what extent were you pioneers? Yeah, you know, there were, uh, we were pioneers and there were other pioneers of the sport. There were other people at the same time. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I think really great visionaries are not coming up with a totally original concept all the time. They're they're looking at something and saying, wow, I could make this so much better. So there was a device called the Snurfer, which I grew up 
you know, sledding with. And it was a piece of wood with a rope on the end and you took it sledding. And so there was Dmitry Milovich in Utah and there was Chuck Barfoot in California. And then there was infamously Tom Sims in California who were all having the same idea of kind of like, hey, how can we take this snurfer and progress it? How can we take the concept of surfing on snow and progress it. I remember when Jake and I, uh, one time we were just kind of, we stopped at an antique store in Vermont where we live. And there was this prototype from the 1920s. It was this piece of wood with this metal bar on it that you stood on. And Jake was like, this has always been evolving. And I think what we saw ourselves as accelerators of that evolution. So and I say this with my tongue firmly in my cheek. Why not just ski? It's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly more fun. And I say that from somebody who was a skier her whole life. And, um, there is just something about surfing on snow and that feeling of standing sideways, not having poles, not having hard boots. It's and and we that's what drove us. We were like, this is so much fucking fun that we have to share it with the world. Yeah, and it but it well, is it still? Yes. Oh my God, it's still the best. I mean, you take a powder day, there's nothing better than to be floating on a snowboard um, and being one and connected that way. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I'm all for all winter sports, right? I think no matter what it is that floats your boat and gets you out there, um, in the winter is a good thing, especially like in Vermont where it's always cold and you need to get out there, but there's just something really, uh, I want to say almost spiritual, um, about snowboarding. And you, like I said, you don't have poles, you don't have hard boots and you have two edges, um, and you are just one with the mountain. So back in the early days, you know, you guys had a, and you gave me the disclaimer at the start, which I've listened to, but <laughs> you guys had a professional relationship and you had a personal relationship. What was it that led the charge for you as a pair? Again, I think it was because it was bigger than us and it wasn't about just making money and achieving certain things that it really was about progressing the sport you know, he asked me very early on to take a big role with women's snowboarding and women's product and whatever, because we were really just trying to advance the sport. That being said, you know, and, and I had no intention of getting involved in the company and really kind of um, all along my career path have just found a need that the company had that I felt like I could fill. That being said, uh, you know, there were times in the beginning where it was really hard. And I remember we had to put in sort of uh, rules where we wouldn't talk 
business after six o'clock or something. And, you know, he'd be like, I have a major product problem. And I'm like, I can't get financing from the banks. And it's like, we'll just make each other nuts if if we do that. So we kind of set those ground rules. And then after a while, that just becomes natural where you try to um, separate it. But there's never been a big separation between work and play for us. It's, it's you know, our friends or the people that work in our community and work for our company and, you know, work is going snowboarding <laughs> and play is sort of doing the same thing. Um, and I feel very fortunate that way. But, you know, it wasn't always easy, like I said. Uh I love this story that uh, one of our young writers, Brock Crouch, we, uh, Jake and I were celebrating our, I don't know, 36th wedding anniversary. And Brock came up to Jake and said, I can't believe you've been married to the same woman and working with the same woman for 37 years. And Jake said, oh, no, it hasn't been the same woman. <laughs> We grew. We were different people. We might as well have had three lives, you know? <laughs> that's sensational. <laughs> wow. God, that's kind of thrown me. I've never thought about it like that. That gives, you know, I, yeah, I'm married. I have a young baby. That gives it a whole new level of. Yeah, you grow and change and become different people, and you're open to that growth on a personal and professional level. And like I said, the lessons we learned professionally made us stronger as a couple and the lessons we learned as a couple made us stronger professionally. Yeah. And so, you know, inevitably we're going to end up talking about it, but what, you know, over the past few years, obviously Jake passed away. Please, could you talk to me about the circumstances surrounding that and, and what happened afterwards, I guess? Yeah, so he had really been a warrior. He had had some real medical issues. Starting in 2012, he had testicular cancer, which, you know, the odds were way in his favor, and he overcame it. It was a horrible chemotherapy, but he overcame it. And then... um he had to have a knee replacement. And again, this was a guy who was almost Olympic quality fitness and driven. And as soon as he realized that his knee might hold him back, he was going to replace it. And something, you know, with that surgery triggered something called Miller Fisher, which is an immune disorder. And he spent, you know, three months fully paralyzed and a year of recovery. And every time he was just a warrior and so inspiring and he would come back 100 percent and back to snowboarding 100 days a year and back to sort of living life. I want to say to the fullest, but like his day was fuller than most people's months. And he had a, a recurrence of the testicular cancer in 2019. And I think he just knew he is, 
he literally physically didn't have it in him to overcome that again. Um, so he passed from that. And there's no easy way to ask the question, so I'll just ask it as it comes. But how has that affected you and what's changed for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, it's a daily loss and it's a whole. On the other hand, I think about how he set up things for the future. His company is in great shape. His family is in great shape. Literally one of the last things he said to me was, Donna, I have no regrets. And I really think about that. And I think about, you know, women who are left with bad financial situations or bad family situations or whatever. It was almost like he knew this was coming and, um, and maybe he knew that goddamn pandemic was coming and was like, I'm out of here before this stuff. Because when I think about it, he would have been doing chemotherapy during that time and everything. It would have been. So there was something, um, I don't want to say poetic, but when you can leave this world saying, I don't regret anything and I feel really good about where everything is and I feel really good about everybody's ability to pick up the mantle and carry on you know he made it easy for us like you know don't think about the money don't think about this think about the rider what's best for the rider focus on the rider that's what he used to say and you could hear it played in your head over and over and over again focus on the rider what's right for the rider what's right for the sport everything else will follow so he set us with a vision and to see, you know, kind of how his life has inspired people is very rewarding. Yeah, of course. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I think, um, I'm not going to make this personal, but I, yeah, I have a very close experience of, um, you know, going through it now with chemotherapy and, and the inevitability of all of that. And I think it changes relationships, obviously, and it changes the way we speak to each other and the way we think about things and the way we look at the future. But, you know, Jake and you had this incredible, have this incredible business that grew out of nothing and is now enormous. Um, and, I mean, it's it's one of the biggest, you know, it, it arguably is the most important thing that's ever happened to snowboarding, obviously. But what was he like as a person outside of all of that? 
You know, he was, and, and I think you can see it in the company, right? We are the most laid back culture. We all wear sweatshirts and we bring our dogs to work and we are so chill and informal and authentic underneath we are so driven and competitive and that was really jake like he was really laid back and he lived the lifestyle but underneath he was competitive and he was driven and he loved competition whether it was watching a football game or the U.S. Open, you know, just that pure play. and But it always had to be a level playing field, right? Like it had to be pure competition. I think Jake tapped into that continued human need to play. We have to play as human adults. And sometimes we forget that. Um so he had this playfulness. He was a practical jokester. I can't tell you how many fake vomits we had or like snapping gum things. Like he loved to play a practical joke. He loved to make people laugh. I remember when he was literally paralyzed in the hospital and he could write and he would spend 10 minutes writing to a doctor or nurse to tell them a joke, to get them to laugh. So he had this incredible sense of play and humor, but underneath he was driven to be the best. And, you know, we've talked a lot about him. Um, what about you? What, what sort of person are you and, and how did that work for you as a partnership? I think it worked really well as a partnership. I always say he was the visionary entrepreneur. I was the accidental one. Um, but I think our strengths were different. I think, you know, when I look back on my career, it was Jake who was my cheerleader. And I hear that from a lot of successful women that they had a guy in their life who took their partnership seriously and was a cheerleader for the other person. I mean, when I was 22 years old, when we moved to Europe and he said, I think you could run sales and operation in Europe. And I said, are you out of your mind? And I did it. And then after that, when we were coming back to the States to have kids, he said, you know, we need a chief financial officer. You could be chief financial officer. And I said, are you crazy? And he said, you've been running Europe for four years. You could do this all the way till CEO. I mean, I, he asked me to be CEO three years before I actually did it. He was always the one who said to me, the company has a need and I see your skills and I, I'm going to cheer you on to be there. Um, which is quite amazing when you think about it, it really wasn't about him. It was about what was best for the company. And he really saw from the beginning what I could contribute. Um, so yeah, I've lost my, uh, 
professional cheerleader as well as my personal soulmate. Well, yeah, but to what extent do the the years and the decades that you had together still live on and and allow you to continue to be cheered on? Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, how many families get to make a documentary and sit around and tell stories? I mean, I heard stories through this process from friends and his sisters and families that I hadn't heard before. Um, I think my children and I would really agree on the fact that society doesn't give you the time you need to grieve, that you are expected to grieve in a certain amount and then move on. And that was very difficult for all of us because I think you all do it at your own time and pace and it can be one step forward, two steps back. Um, But for us to have the opportunity to continue to talk about him and continue to tell stories and continue to make projects and to continue to think what would he want here um, is really a gift. And um, do you see that exclusively as a strength now or do you feel a weight of responsibility around the company and where it goes? Yeah, you know, I see it as a real strength that we are going to, I see my role as institutionalizing the founder's vision. And for Jake, that had very much to do around the brand um, and the product. For me, it has to do very much with the culture. And so... um, how do we keep institutionalizing Jake's approach to innovation or my approach to employee retention? And it's happening. You know, I see it. I mean, our DNA is there and um, we've just got to create those structures and processes that make sure it stays there. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I read quite a lot online before this conversation, but what is it that you mean by culture? What is it that's important to you and how have you cemented it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think what I mean by culture is defining the values that are most important to you and then living up to them. When I think about the mistakes we've made along the way, it's been when we weren't quite living up to our values. For example, we have um, one of our strongest values is inclusion. And because we were excluded from the ski industry, whether it was their mountains or their trade shows or their dealers, whatever, you know, we developed this real sense of inclusion. And and you can see it today in the Olympics, watching the Olympics, how close those athletes are, no matter what brand they're riding, they are rooting for each other. And I always say that the direction of our company has been determined by a couple of oh shit moments when we realized we were not living up to our values. And, you know, one was in 2003, 2004, where we were like, oh, we're so inclusive with women. 
and we take a look around <laughs> and guess what? We have become male dominated, both internally and in terms of participation. And because we're a privately held company that's always seen the sport as more important than short-term profits, we were able to say, oh my God, we've got to do something proactively about this to make women feel more inclusive. Um, that's always been our value. Were we living up to it? No. And so it was like a couple of jolting moments where you say, fuck, we've got to buckle down and do what's right. And did you? Yes. Oh, my God. In 2004, less than 10% of our um, leadership was female. It is now the senior team is 50-50. And it's over 40% company-wide. And it's just not even a thing anymore. Like, if your boss isn't female, chances are your boss's boss is female. So it's not even a thing thing anymore. And we have women in very non-traditional female roles. And we're really working on the same thing with people of color. You know, the same thing like, oh shit, we haven't done enough there. So I think it's really, uh, I don't even remember, Matt, I'm sorry, the original question, <laughs> but I think it was, you know, how do you keep your company growing in a way that you can be proud of and that you can be, uh, it had to do with culture. And I think what we realized was that your culture can become something that you don't mean it to become. You're like, how did that happen? We weren't paying attention. Um, and so you've got to be very deliberate and mindful about culture. And how do you feel about snowboarding and mountain culture generally globally? in terms of its its culture and its inclusivity? I think we have a long way to go. I think it's getting better. I do think things like the um, Epic Pass are making it more affordable. I think there's a conscious effort to reach more urban communities and make it more... Um, affordable but i think clearly we've got a long way to go yeah and do you think it's still counterculture yeah i, st I think we st you know that's an interesting expression i always say we look at the world a little sideways and we always will you know and whether that's counterculture or just being authentic and true to who we are and a little bit rebellious and a little bit youthful. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I guess so. Counterculture. I'm going with it. And, <laughs> Final answer. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think the obvious, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of want to join it up, but what, you know, you're still here and, and, and Jake sadly isn't anymore, but what's your legacy together, do you think? Well, I think. Um, for a long time, Burton saw itself as a very product-driven company. And I think that came from Jake. He loved 
product more than anything. He was like a little kid on Christmas morning when he would get a new product. And that's what drove him. And what I realized a few years ago was that consumers were looking for a company's purpose. And I was like, Burton's always had this amazing purpose for its people, product, and planet. And, um, you know, whether it's sustainability or women's leadership or what we call now Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, we've been leaders there. And so we need to pull the curtain back and show people who we are at our core rather than just talking. We need to talk about the latest product. Like you said, we need to talk about the latest stuff on mining or whatever, but we also need to talk about who we are as people and what we believe in and what we're doing to put our money where our mouth is. And is that the same as your purpose personally? Um, yes, I would say so. I mean, I've always been, like I said, I have always <clears throat> believed that culture What's the expression, eats strategy for lunch or whatever, that if you don't have people behaving in a way that reflects your values, there's a disconnect. Um, if people aren't feeling part of the overall strategy, if they don't see where they can fit into your overall mission, that you're really not going to drive forward. And obviously, we've always been committed to the long-term sustainability of the sport. When we started, that didn't mean climate change. We didn't know. We weren't aware, right? And now we're like, okay, if we really want to be sustainable, we've got to be a part of the solution with climate change. So I think it's you know, it's always driven us, our purpose towards, you know, people and, 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 and the sport and the planet, but we're much more conscious and mindful of it now. Yeah, for sure. And when you look back on your career, your accidental career, as I guess you alluded to, and, you know, you Google you and you come up on Forbes lists of, you know, most influential, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do you feel? You know, it's so funny you say that because I remember in 2003 when we started on the journey to become more inclusive with female leadership. Um, and it really was Jake who turned to me and said, oh, my God, we've got to do something. And I was like, oh, my God, we are so screwed. Like we've got so much work to do and we put our head down and we worked really hard. And then all of a sudden you're like, people want you to talk about it. Like you're a leader and, and sort of the same thing with sustainability. It was like, we put our heads down and worked really hard and then kind of put our heads up and people said, oh, we want to know how you did that or whatever. And you're like, really, you want to know that? So um, again, I guess it's 
accidental entrepreneur, accidental inspirer for the rest of the industry. But hey, that's cool, right? Like if we can be leaders there and inspire even just one other company to take action on sustainability or gender or racial inclusivity, then hey, that's great. But it's surprising. It's sort of like, you know, you sit there and go, oh man, we got a lot of work to do. And all of a sudden you do the work and people recognize it. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess we can inspire the rest of the industry. And you realize that your future depends on the rest of the industry. I mean, we've got to make women and people of color feel included in this industry so that we have talent that we're all drawing from. So I remember getting involved, especially in sustainability, where you're like, I've got to work with my competitors. I've got to tell them what I'm doing. I've got to give them my secrets. And it's like, yeah, because it's for the greater good. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think we can all learn something from that, whether we're, you know, a tiny little freelance business or a small, you know, or, or something as big as Burton. So um, I start to draw it to a close, but when you look back on it all, what is it that you're most proud of? The big P, what Jake called the big P, perseverance. I mean, we really came through some very difficult, difficult times, whether it was the economic, global economic crisis, whether it was a tsunami in Japan, whether it was Jake's illnesses, Um, whether it was not being able to get financing in the beginning, um, just that sense of, okay, we're going to persevere because it's bigger than us. Um, so I think that's what we're most proud of. It's what I'm most proud of personally. And what I think we're most proud of as a culture that we just don't give up, tell us to give up. Fuck you. We will keep going. (laughs) Um, And then, and so naturally I have to ask, what is it that you regret? Well, that's interesting. Like I said, um, the fact that Jake died saying that he had no regrets. Um. You know, I guess I would say uh, not getting on things sooner, not realizing that climate change was going to affect us by letting our sort of business model where we knew we were using chemicals um, and fossil fuels and thinking that we couldn't do something sooner. Um And I would definitely say not getting on uh, more racial diversity. I think that Jake was very influenced by both the civil rights movement and the women's movement. And I think that has a big reason why we were so committed to both. And we always saw snowboarding as more diverse than skiing, which I think it definitely is, but that's not saying a whole lot. 
So I think I regret not doing more there until the George Floyd murder that kind of kicked us all in the ass. Um, but I happen to believe that the mistakes that you make make you a better person. They make you a better company. I mean, when I look back, Jake used to always say, make mistakes. Just don't do it twice. <laughs> and it's sort of true. It's like if you can take a mistake and learn from it and figure out how to do it better next time, you're better off having had made that mistake than not. Yeah. That's very honest. So I always ask the same two questions at the end of every conversation. Interpret them however you see fit. <laughs> um, what scares you? Climate change. Yeah, I think it's we lose sight of it in our day-to-day -day lives. But I think as far as an overall global issue that's going to impact each and every one of us, you know, way beyond selling snowboards. That scares me. And what brings you hope? It sounds cliche, but the next generation, my sons, you know, we have uh, three sons and I see their hope and work and I have the pleasure of working with young people every day, which a lot of people don't get, you know, at my age where I'm really um, seeing. So it sounds cliche and, and maybe it sounds a little like, hey, <laughs> it's your problem now. And that's not what I mean, but they really do give me um, hope. Well, sometimes things are cliches because they're true, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, amazing. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. It's been, been brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Really a pleasure. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date, you can follow along on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is produced and distributed by Ola Omori and Alex Hall. If you want to give us feedback, make a guest recommendation or just get in touch, then you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk. And finally, please do leave us a review on iTunes. They help us reach a wider audience. <laughs>